Welcome to Inclusion and Marketing, the show that's all about giving you the skills and insights you need to win the attention, adoration, and loyalty of more consumers, especially those with differences that are often ignored by brands. I'm your host, Sonia Thompson, a marketer and a person with a lot of differences. Let's get to it. Okay, I've got another podcast recommendation for you. It's Latinx in Power, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez. It's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. This podcast features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insight from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their fields. I like listening to this podcast because I like hearing from a broad diversity of voices and hearing from and learning from their experiences. One episode I'm super excited to dive into is the latest one, Lead Generation Journey with Glenville Dixon Jr. Listen to Latinx Empower wherever you get your podcasts. I recently had an exploratory call with someone who's organizing a really big conference in Barcelona. Now, just so you know, Barcelona at this point in time is my absolute favorite city in Europe. I've got plenty of other places on the list that I want to see, but as of today, Barcelona is my absolute favorite. So when they reached out to see if I was interested, I was super excited And I immediately told Jonathan about it because I thought it was a cool opportunity. We even tossed around the idea of us going as a family and using the conference as an opportunity to explore Barcelona. Jonathan's never been. Of course, Luna hasn't been either. So I'm on the call to learn more about this conference. And as we're talking about what presentation topics could work for the audience, I'm realizing that there would be a lot of work involved to get case studies and data and to build a talk that would work well for this particular audience. Now, don't get me wrong, anytime I give a keynote, there's a lot of work involved. Building an engaging and actionable 30-minute talk is hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of work. It's work I enjoy doing, but it's absolutely work. Add to that the travel associated with it, in this case, international travel, and potentially time away from my family if they aren't able to come with me, and this is a, a pretty big undertaking. So anyway, we get to the end of our talk and I ask about their budget for compensating speakers. The woman then let me know that they could cover hotels and possibly they could cover my travel, but they couldn't promise anything at this point in time. When I heard her say this, I was a bit skeptical. I hadn't heard her say anything about a speaker fee, so I wanted to be sure. So I asked, is there a speaker fee associated with this event? She responded, no. She mentioned that there was a lot of promotion that was happening around the conference and that the organization spends $3 million, million dollars in ad spend promoting the event. So the speakers will get a lot of exposure from all the different buzz that they're doing with their ads and everything around the event. When I finished talking to her, I had already made up my mind. I was not going to do the conference. I called Jonathan and told him Spain was a no-go, at least as relates to this conference. He was in total agreement. Now, it's long been a practice for conferences to pay speakers in exposure. For some people, they'd be more than willing to accept it. There are times when exposure is worth it for brands and for business owners. There have been some conferences I've gone to where I did not get paid to speak, but I knew there were broader benefits for me to be on the stage. 
But these days, as I've grown as a business owner and as a speaker and have pretty consistently gotten paid for events, those opportunities are fewer and far between. Also, the deeper I get into the world of inclusive marketing and really leaning hard into belonging, I'm starting to take an even harder stance against being paid for exposure. The one thing that kind of got me about this conference, if they can afford to invest a minimum of $3 million in ads, but they don't have the budget to pay the speakers providing the content for their conference, this brand is all about extraction. They're more interested in extracting value from their speakers with a vague promise of return rather than paying them for their expertise. No bueno. Now, just to be clear, this is not a rant purely about conferences that pay their speakers in exposure. It's about businesses that focus their efforts on extracting value from others rather than adding value in a way that allows everyone to win. Belonging cannot exist when one party in a relationship is constantly extracting value from the other. Inclusive marketing is not about extraction. It's not about extracting value from a community solely for the purposes of you growing your business when they buy more of your stuff. Belonging happens when you invest in a community, when you build relationships with them, when you care about the things that concern them, when you see them beyond just what they can do for you. Belonging is built on deeper emotional connections rather than transactional ones. So I want to dive a little bit deeper into one common way that brands are in the habit of extracting value from underrepresented and underserved communities. And I want to bring light to this so that we can all do better and we can stop engaging in these toxic types of relationships. So common way that brands use to extract value from people that we need to work on is through market research. In this instance, the way I'm referring to it is can often be thought of as picking someone's brain. In entrepreneurial circles, there's been much written about picking someone's brain, and generally it isn't good. Why? Because brain picking is the equivalent of extraction without paying the person whose brain you're picking and appropriately for their expertise and the value that they provide the other person. Let's dig in deeper into other ways that this can show up. A couple of years ago, I heard a story of two women who had a popular burrito restaurant in Portland, Oregon. One day, the women did a news promo where they talked about how they got the recipe for their homemade tortillas that people just couldn't get enough of. It all started on a trip that the women took to Mexico. So here's how one of the owners described the origin story of their tortillas to the news station. I picked the brains of every tortilla lady that was there in the worst broken Spanish ever, and they showed me a little of what they did. She continued, they told us basic ingredients, and we saw them moving and stretching the dough, similar to how pizza makers do before rolling it out with rolling pins. And this last part, this last part is what really ruffled my feathers. They wouldn't tell us too much about technique, but we were peeking into windows of every kitchen, totally fascinated by how easy they made it look. The owners took what they learned, and when they got back home, they worked to recreate the tortillas they had observed on their trip, and then added California-inspired ingredients to work to make it their own. Backlash was swift and harsh for these women. One article in the Portland Mercury read, These appropriating businesses are erasing and exploiting their already marginalized identities, talking about the Mexican women, for the purpose of profit and praise. 
Another commentary on Mike.com put it this way. In less than six months, these women, talking about the owners, he mentioned their names, have managed to build a business. And depending on how you look at it, their methods are either genius or the latest example of white folks profiting off the labor of people of color. After many more angry comments and rebukes and accusations of cultural appropriation, the owners closed their business down, deleted their website, and all their social media channels. Inclusion is about sharing power. If you want more on this topic, we covered it in depth in episode 11. So go back and take a listen if you want more on this theme. In this case, with these women with their tortillas, there was no power shared. The owners engaged directly and sometimes secretly with these experts on tortilla making purely for the purpose of extracting knowledge from them for their own personal gain. Now let's think of it this way. Would we feel differently about this situation if the two owners had paid each of the women $100 to learn more about technique? Some might say yes, they would, but from where I sit, even though it does make things slightly better, the reality is these women were still extracting from these Mexican tortilla experts. And the return they would have gotten on, let's say, $500 of extracting value from people who are part of a marginalized community, at least here they are in the U.S., would be much more, orders of magnitude more. It doesn't feel right. The same goes for market research that we're doing with people who are part of underrepresented and underserved communities. If we do market research with a community that we're trying to engage with for purposes of figuring out how we can get them to buy more of our stuff and not also figuring out how we can better serve them, then what we're doing is further extracting from already underrepresented, underserved, and marginalized communities for the purposes of our own personal gain. There's no sharing of power. There's no relationship. There's no truly seeing the other person. And as a result, there is no belonging. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron or could it be Don or John or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI-powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. In a full 360 view of every customer, so your go-to-market team can keep a pulse on accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. Now, I'm not against market research at all. Market research is one way to develop a deeper degree of intimacy with the people you want to serve, but it shouldn't be the only way. Spend time with the communities, immerse yourself in the culture, build relationships with them, add value. Remember, extraction equals bad. So what goes at the other end of the spectrum that we should strive towards when it comes to engaging with communities that are traditionally underrepresented and underserved, especially whenever we're in a position where we don't know very much about the community and we need to learn. Co-creation. So I want to tell you this story about a movie that I just absolutely love, Coco. Coco is uh, the movie from Disney and Pixar. And 
It started off not so good, but it ended positively because co-creation was at the heart of it. So the makers of Disney and Pixar, whenever they went out, um, they initially started to set out to make Coco. It was originally called Day of the Dead. Um, And whenever Disney and Pixar went to go and trademark Day of the Dead, they got a ton of backlash. People were angry. They were irate. How could you, Disney, try to profit off of our culture, culture that's not yours? How could you try and profit off of it by trademarking it, but also make it so that other people can't benefit from it? Because that's what will happen with the trademark. And people were just angry. They're saying like, Day of the Dead doesn't belong to anybody. It's, it's, it's our culture. It doesn't belong to one person, one organization, one entity. So Disney saw that backlash, they realized it wasn't good, so they released the trademark request for Coco and decided that they'd had a lot of work to do to make sure that they would not only tell the story the proper way and bring it to life, but win the respect and the support from people who were part of the Mexican community where the story was set and take place. So what did Disney do? They hired basically an all-Latino cast. They hired cultural consultants to help make sure that they were getting elements of the story right, that it felt true and authentic. And the team that was making Coco went to Mexico on multiple trips so they could see for themselves what was happening, so they could see the visual imagery, so that they could better have an idea of it and see, like, have it in their mind, not just in their imagination what the visual imagery needed to look like. As they sat there, they were able to feel the environment. They were able to hear people talk. They were able to hear the stories. They were able to see the colors. All of it contributed to their ability to create a better story. They co-created. They had their own experiences. And all that combined for them to create a beautiful story that not only won an Academy Award, but also at that time, it was the best-selling movie or that had the best box office records in Mexico at that time. Coco started off rocky with Disney and Pixar, but they got it right because they were doing more extracting. But when they started to co-create and co-create and spend time immersing themselves in the culture, they got what they needed to build something that was super special that not only performed well around the world, but especially in Mexico where it was set, but it had a big impact on people who are part of, who have Mexican heritage, who thought that Disney did a beautiful job of representing authentically their culture. Extraction equals bad, co-creation equals good. Co-creation can take on many forms. Let's talk about three of them. First up is hiring team members, particularly hiring people who are part of the communities that you want to start serving. Building a representative team is an essential aspect of being able to authentically engage and win the attention, adoration, and loyalty of people from underrepresented and underserved communities, especially if you haven't done the best job of serving them in the past. And one of the beautiful things about hiring team members um, who are part of the communities that you want to serve or that you intend to serve 
is that they can add value on an ongoing basis because part of their job is to bring their perspective of their own unique experiences, of their lived experiences, um, their perspective that is different from others on the team to their daily work. So co-creation is naturally a part of what will be happening whenever you diversify your team and make it representative. That was one of the things that Disney did whenever they hired a staff that was full of people who are from the Latino community. Another part of co-creation could be in hiring people who are parts of the communities that you want to serve and engage with to help create a product for you or create it with you. So a lot of times brands who do a good job of their Pride Month celebrations have started to do this whenever they've been introducing limited edition Pride products. They've been working with artists, people from the community to one, showcase their art and provide cultural context in a way that feels authentic. And one of the ways in which makes this even better, particularly as it relates to Pride, sales of these limited edition products and profits rarely go to the company, or at least 100% of the sales don't. Oftentimes, the sales and the proceeds will go to organizations that support or that advance the causes or advance the causes and issues that are important to these communities that brands are serving. And one other way that co-creation shows up is by hiring people to help you create campaigns that speak to the people you want to serve. That can be a consultant, that can be someone in your community that you bring in, whether it's a social media post, a blog post, a video, some type of campaign, or something larger. It's bringing in people who are part of the communities in different capacities to help you make sure that what you're doing is authentic and true. In all these cases, you are paying people commensurate to the value they are providing for you, for their knowledge, for their expertise, and their connection and proximity to the community. Extraction equals bad. Co-creation equals good. Co-creation requires a relationship, a mutually beneficial one. Co-creation shares power. Co-creation makes both the co-creators and people on the receiving end of what you produce together feel like they belong. That's it for today's show. If you need more help getting started building an inclusive brand, go ahead and grab my inclusive marketing starter kit. You can find it at inclusivemarketing.co slash starter kit. And if you like this episode, I would so appreciate it if you would share it with a friend and even rate and review it in your podcast app of choice. It'll help get the word out so others can get going delivering inclusive experiences. Until next time, remember... Everyone deserves to have a place where they belong. Let's use our individual and collective power to make sure more people feel like they do. Somebody's waiting on you. Thanks for listening.